Take our Bible at this time and turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number six, and we're going to we're going to continue a series that I started back on Vision Sunday, the first Sunday of uh, January, as uh, we announced our theme, um, which was which is glorify God, and uh, we're going to be talking about some of the different uh, areas of life that we are to glorify God in, and uh, one of them is our finances. And so we'll be looking at that um, this morning. So Matthew chapter number six, and if we could stand together for the reading of God's word. Thank you very much. Matthew chapter number six and uh, verse number 19, and we'll read down through verse number 21, a very familiar passage of scripture. The Bible says this in... Matthew 6, 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither wrath nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the time together uh, this morning, and it's been a sweet service already with the fellowship, with the singing, and uh, Lord, we are excited about what's coming up. But God, as we now turn our attention to your holy word, I pray that uh, you would speak to our hearts and help us, Lord, to have open hearts to the word of God today, and that you might use it to draw us closer to you, and that Lord, as your word speaks to us, that we would be willing to say, be it unto me according to thy word, and that we would have a a submissive spirit towards your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as I mentioned, our theme for 2024 is glorify God. And a couple of weeks ago, as we met together for Vision Sunday to learn about this theme, we looked at 1 Corinthians 6.20, which says, and we've already said it already, for ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And the two weeks ago, we saw that that requirement was that we are to bring glory to God. That's the requirement of that passage, that we are to glorify God. Um, the reasons that we are to glorify God, we looked at that day, were the fact is his, purpose, his person deserves glory uh, because of what he has done and because of who he is. And we looked at his payment as well. The verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 6.20, starts with, for ye are bought with a price. And that's a reference to the, the payment that was made on the cross of Calvary. And so uh, it wasn't an inexpensive purchase. It cost Jesus everything. It cost him his life. We talked about how that we are we have been bought. And then we started looking at the different realms in which we are to glorify God in. Uh, we talked about our body and in our spirit. And we we may expand that a little bit more in future messages, but um, but really we are to glorify God in every single area of life. First Corinthians 10:31 says. Uh, for whether ye therefore, uh, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So really, that encompasses every single arena of life. Um, and now, 
We're going to be talking today about finances, glorifying God in our finances. Now, what's the big deal about finances? Why would I mention this one first? I mean, why even mention this area of life in the discussion about glorifying God to begin with? Now, here's the reason. Because many of us know that the heart of the matter is really a matter of the heart. And according to the Lord Jesus, our hearts follow our treasures. In verse 21, Jesus said this, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Uh, many, many people may think, well, no, 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 where my heart is, then that's where my treasures follow. And Jesus says, no, 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 the way it is, is you have your, you have your wallet and your heart follows your wallet. Most people think that our wallet follows our hearts, but it's the opposite according to Jesus. So where you put your money and how you manage your money and how you manage your substance is, determines where your heart is. Now, if we were to glorify God with our hearts, and all of us would, would think that it would be a great message to glorify God with our hearts, in order to do that, then we must first decide to glorify God in our finances. And you would think, well, no, no, you, you should probably preach on glorifying God in our hearts. No, uh, if we're going to glorify God in our hearts, we, we, we have to first decide to glorify God with our finances because our hearts follow our finances. And we are indeed instructed to glorify God and honor with our possessions in other places in the scriptures. For instance, Proverbs chapter number three. If you want to flip over there, I'd like you to see this verse. I know it's a familiar one. And most of you might be thinking Proverbs chapter three. You're probably referring to verses five and six. Well, that actually has to do with finances um, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. But the one that I want us to see really this morning from Proverbs 3 is verse number 9, where it says, Honor the Lord with thy substance. And with the first fruits of all thine increase. Can we say that first part, stopping at that comma, honor the Lord with thy substance? Can we say that together? Ready, begin. Honor the Lord with thy substance. In other words, we are to glorify God with our finances. Uh, we are to bring honor and we are to bring glory through the substance, through the possessions that God has given to us. Um, now, in this day and age, we can flip back over to Matthew chapter 6, and this is going to be a little bit of, uh, we're going to be looking at several different uh, passages of Scripture, so we may uh, be turning to uh, other passages. So don't get too comfortable in Matthew chapter number six, but for now we can land there. Now in this day and age, it's evident that most people want to glorify not God. They want to glorify gold. They honor and they worship money and wealth and do everything they can in order to accumulate more. That's the American way, so to speak. And I'm thankful for the ability here in America to accumulate more. But some people go to the point, to the extreme of actually glorifying gold instead of doing what we're supposed to be doing as Christians, and that's glorifying God. Now, God has, and, and just to be clear this morning, God has no issue with us possessing things, but he does take issue when those things end up possessing us. 
And he wants to make sure that there's nothing between us and him, that he is number one. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at how we can glorify God in our finances. Four simple truths today. I want us to look at number one here. If we're to glorify God in our finances, we need to acknowledge the ultimate owner of our finances. I know most of us think, well, pastor, I mean, the bank account that I have and the 401k that I have is all in my name. So I'm the owner of it. Well, legally, I understand that that's true. But ultimately, who is the real final owner of all that we have? Well, spoiler alert, I'm still going to preach the rest of this point. But the spoiler alert is ultimately it's God. And, and I know we know that, but here's some verses and here's some truths from the scriptures that help us to understand that. Psalm 24 and verse number one, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. So this world belongs to God and everything in the world belongs to God. Deuteronomy 10 and verse number 14 says, behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also with all that therein is. Uh, he owns it all. We need to remember that everything ultimately belongs to God, including my finances and yours. First Chronicles 29.11, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is Thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Job 41, verse 11, Who hath prevented me that I should repay him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. That's what God was saying to Job. He said, whatsoever is under the whole heaven, it's mine. It belongs to me. Friend, it's all his. God is the ultimate owner of everything, including your finances. I know there may be somebody here thinking, okay, well, that's kind of not fair because the thing is, I've worked really hard for my money. I mean, with my blood, sweat, and tears, I've worked and I've labored and I've gotten up. I mean, it wasn't God that got up in the morning to uh, go to work and, and put in a full day's labor and, 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 and you know get that paycheck. It wasn't God that did that. It was me. Okay, well, now I'm going to ask you to go to Deuteronomy chapter number 8. Deuteronomy chapter number 8. And there, there is a temptation to think that and think, well, look, you know, God, you didn't do all those things. I did, and so therefore the money, the paycheck, it all belongs to me. But God here in Deuteronomy chapter number 8 is the nation of Israel is about ready to enter into the promised land. And this, this was a warning, chapter 8 is, to them regarding their pride and re regarding them forgetting even God uh, at, at all. Um, and uh, let's pick it up in verse number 14. He says, then thine heart be lifted up, and, then, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness wherein we were fiery serpents and scorpions and, and, uh, and, and drought where there was no water, who brought thee forth out, water out of the rock of Flint. He said, I, I'm concerned for you that you're going to forget who brought you up and who delivered you. I, I'm concerned for that. 
Verse 16, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers, fathers knew not that he might humble thee and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter, latter end. And it, he's like, and I'm also concerned, verse 17, that thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. He said, I'm, I'm concerned that you're going to think that you deserve all of this and it was your work and your effort that got you all of this wealth. He says, verse 18, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. And in Deuteronomy chapter number eight, he reminds us that, hey, who was it that gave you the ability to get that degree in college, to be able to find a good job, and then to have the health and the wherewithal to go to work every day and to Get that wealth. Who was it that gave you that ability? It wasn't you. It's him. And, and we need to be reminded that, hey, look, the, 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 the wealth that we have accumulated, it wasn't because of how wonderful and smart and hardworking we were. It was the Lord who gave us the abilities to do all of that. We need to recognize that. James chapter 1 and verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So we need to recognize and acknowledge the ultimate owner when it comes to our finances. That it doesn't belong to me. That actually, instead, I am a steward of what God has given to me. And that's an important principle regarding glorifying God in our finances. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse number 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And we are called to be stewards. And we need to be faithful in that stewardship in order to glorify God. Now, our stewardship obviously doesn't just include finances. It also includes how we steward our time and our talent. The different resources we have, the different opportunities that come our way. And the Bible does talk also about stewarding the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just hoarding it for ourselves, but giving it out to those who need it as well. So our stewardship doesn't, it includes all of those other things, but it doesn't just include finances, but it does also include finances. And when it comes to stewardship, sometimes we think, oh, well, you know, I, I want to be faithful in, you know, my job and, and I want to be faithful with my time and and my ministries, and all of those things. But when it comes to my finances, that's kind of a personal matter, and I don't need, I don't have a responsibility to be a steward over that. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. So we need to acknowledge the ultimate owner, and that's, that's key. When we recognize that my bank account, my financial portfolio is, while it may have my name attached to it, it ultimately came from him. And we need, to, we need to acknowledge that, acknowledge the ultimate owner if we're going to glorify God. But then I see, secondly, uh, I want to say, secondly, not only do we acknowledge the ultimate owner, but number two, we also need to appreciate what we have. Appreciate what we have. One of the best ways to glorify God is to truly be thankful for what God has given to us. Uh, let's go ahead and flip over to Philippians chapter number four real quickly. I want to show you this passage in light of this very thought. Because Paul learned 
how to appreciate what he had no matter how much he had. I know that there's a, a feeling that a lot of us have and are tempted to have is, hey, I would definitely appreciate what I had if I had what they had. Could we turn down the sound just a tad? Uh, I'm getting a ringing right here, so I need to stay out of that little zone. All good now. Thank you. I appreciate that, uh, brother. But, but isn't that true? We, we think, well, I'll, I'll appreciate what I have when I have more. Rather than, I'm going to appreciate what I have with what I have now. And Paul got to that point in his life where he was able to be thankful for what he had, regardless of how much he had. Whether he had more than someone else or less than someone else, it didn't matter. He was thankful. Philippians chapter number 4. If you're thinking Philippians 4 and you're thinking, oh, Philippians 4.13, one of my favorite verses. And it is a great verse, but let's look at verse 13. It says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, that's a great verse, and we apply it to so many different things in life. And, and it's not necessarily wrong to apply those things. But let's look at the context of where this verse is located. It's located here at the end of a little section of, 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 of Scripture here that Paul says, in verse, start, starting in verse number uh, 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. When he talked about your care, it wasn't that they just, you know, um, fed him. They... they they gave him a financial offering. So um, the last care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. And then he said in verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want. He's like, I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a, you know, hey, you know, where, where's my love offering? <laughs> you know? I, I don't want to, I don't want it to be about that. He said, I, I, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says, look, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Do you see the context there? It's not just about, well, I can, I can do really well on the football field and, and I can do really well at my work, yes, that is a okay application, but the application or the main application when you consider the context is I know how to appreciate what I have regardless of how much I have. Whatever state I am. And uh, he's not talking about whether you're in California or uh, Tennessee or Texas. Can you, anybody be happy in Texas? I don't know. Um, I'm teasing. I don't. I don't mind Texas. They have In-N-Out Burger, and I need an In-N-Out Burger in Oklahoma. Come on, that'll preach right there. I get more amens on that one than anything else that I preach. But, um, but Paul learned to appreciate what he had no matter how much he had. And again, I, I know that a lot of us think, well, I would appreciate what I had if I had what they had. You know, when you consider some of the rich and famous individuals in our world and you're like man if i just had what they had i mean that would be i would be happy i would be super happy 
Well, I'm telling you, for those who've had the opportunity to go to third world countries, maybe on a missions trip or a business trip or a vacation, and you see people who have just so few things in this world and just how joyful they are, they've learned to appreciate what they have, no matter how much they have. So we're to appreciate what we have, but we also need to express that appreciation. And not just to have that thankfulness in our heart, but to express it, to give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything give thanks. We are to give thanks for everything and in everything. So I read about a man who became envious of his friends because... Uh, they started getting larger and more luxurious homes. And he started getting a little jealous, so he thought, you know, I'm kind of getting the itch to get something a little better for me and my family. So he listed his house with a real estate firm, and he planned to sell it and to purchase a much more impressive home than what he had um, himself. Well, shortly afterwards, a little time passed, and he was reading the classified section of the newspaper. And he saw an ad for a house that seemed perfect. I mean, it, was, it, it checked all the boxes. And so he got up the phone and called the realtor and said, Hey, I was reading today's paper, and there's a house in one of the ads there, and it's, it's exactly what I'm looking for. And I'd, I'd like to set up an appointment to go and, and look at this house as soon as possible. The agent asked him several questions about the house and, and then finally said to the man, but sir, that's your house you're describing that I put an ad in that paper. And, and see, here's the deal. A lot of times we can kind of wish that we had something else when really we have all that God wants us to have, Right? When you stop to count your blessings, sometimes it will really surprise you what God has done, as the song says. So instead of going, I wish I had something else, let's be thankful for what we do have. Ephesians 5 verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always for all things unto God. Appreciate what you have. And just by way of reminder, just in case we needed the reminder this morning, which maybe we do. I sometimes do. How much do we really deserve in this life anyway? The only thing that honestly you and I truly deserve is to be consumed and to honestly crack hell wide open. So that sounds kind of harsh. It's the truth. Because of our sin, we have offended a holy and righteous God. And that if he was, if life was truly fair, that's where all of us would be right this moment. But because God is gracious and merciful, we're able to be here today. And so if you think, well, man, you know, I've put in my time, I've worked hard, and this is all I have. Look, I deserve much more than this. No, no, you don't. And, and I understand, look, uh, labor is worthy of his hire. I, I understand the concept there. 
But when we need to, as we look at the possessions we have, the substance that God has given to us, we need to be thankful that he's given us anything because we don't deserve, we deserve this much. We actually deserve to perish in a place called hell for all of eternity. And so anything above that is bonus, and we need to be very, very thankful. Uh, I like what the songwriter wrote. He said, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. Now, if you put Jesus on a table over here, if you were able to do that, and a whole table full of gold and silver, which would you choose? I think all of us would, being in church, would say, oh, I would choose Jesus. <laughs> because that's the spiritual thing to say. But, but is that honestly true in your life? I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. There's a lot of people who have riches untold. There's people who are multi-hundred billionaires in this world. I mean, really, and, and, and I've seen, and maybe you have too, the charts of, of how many houses uh, these billionaires can afford. And all, all the, I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing the amount of money that some of these people have. The songwriter writes, I'd rather be his than have riches untold. Is that you? I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. No, no, I'll be happy when we get a nice big home where, you know, there's plenty of space for everybody and we're not having to bump into each other all the time. I, I would just be so happy with that. Well, the songwriter said, I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. And here's why. Here's why. Because he's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out of the comb. And listen to this one. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Look, my friend, when you have Jesus Christ, you have all that you need and more. He's all that we need, and, and, and we need to appreciate what he's given to us, especially he, the fact that he's given to us eternal life that can never be taken away. You say, well, no, I, I really need another home. Okay, well, do you remember, just, just a, another little reminder for you, you live in Oklahoma where we're getting ready. We're, we're, we're not in May yet, we're getting close. And you know what May is here in Oklahoma? It's the David Payne month at Oklahoma. We, have, we go binge watch David Payne or whoever you get to watch. There are tornadoes that come through and destroy homes. And so if your whole focus is on your home, your focus is on the wrong thing. Appreciate what you have, what God has given to you, and do as Psalm 104 says this. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. So if we're going to truly glorify God in our finances, we must first acknowledge the ultimate owner. We must then appreciate what we have. And then, number three, this is a tough one, we need to avoid covetousness. 
the, 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 the last thought and this thought kind of go hand in hand. But we need to avoid covetousness. If you remember in the Ten Commandments, the last one mentioned, the Tenth Commandment, in Exodus 20 and verse 7, 17 says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. We're not to, we're not to go and look at our neighbors and what they have and go, boy, I really need that in my life. Again, part of it is going back to the fat last one and appreciating what God has given to us, but we do need to avoid covetousness. If your Bible is still in Philippians, if you go back just a few pages to Ephesians chapter number five, I want us to show. I want to show you from the scriptures how how important we we kind of sometimes say. Well, sometimes I covet this and I covet that. It's no big deal. I want to show you how serious covetousness is to God, and we need to understand the gravity of this particular sin. Ephesians 5 and verse number 1 says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and have given himself for us for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. Again, if you have Jesus, you have all that you need. But then he says in verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. So verse number three, he says, there's, there's a few things that you should never let it be said about you. Fornication, uncleanness. We would all agree with that. We'd all be like, yeah, those things should never be said about us. But covetous? I mean, everybody struggles with covetous. It's not that big of a deal. And yet Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, don't let covetous ever be named among you. Not once. Not once. So can I just let us know and remind us that covetousness is a serious deal to God. 1 Timothy 6 and verse number 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. We are familiar with that verse. And we know that, of course, money is not the root of all evil. Praise the Lord. We need money to live. We need money to survive. We get that. But when we start loving it and coveting it and chasing it and worshiping it and ultimately glorifying it, that is the root of all evil. The verse goes on to say, which while some coveted after... They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So those who chase the almighty dollar end up causing great sorrow in their own life. Jesus tells us to beware of covetousness. Beware of covetousness. In uh, Luke chapter number 12, let's turn over there and I want you to see this passage. Luke chapter number 12. If we're going to glorify God in our finances, we have to avoid covetousness. Luke chapter number 12. Pick it up in verse number 13. 
And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. So this is the um, old situation where a family member dies, they leave the inheritance to two boys. This guy comes and one of the boys is not dividing, the older one is not making it fair. And so he comes and talks to Jesus and says, hey, would you please tell my brother to, you know, like divide it right down the middle so that we both get equal portions. Well, verse number 14, he said unto him, Jesus says, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And then he said unto them, he turns his attention to the company, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Too many people in America think that my life is defined by what I have. And Jesus says that is wrong thinking. Your life does not consist in the abundance of the things which you possess. That's not it. It doesn't mean who, who, who has most wins. No, he who has Christ wins. Um, he who has the Lord and follows Him and fears God, that's the winner in this life, not the one who has the most. And then he goes on to explain this parable in verse 16. He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich, uh, certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room wherewith where to bestow my fruits? He said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. Will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Avoid covetousness. Because this is what it can lead to, where we kind of think, hey, I'm going to go and just kind of have all the money in the world and just retire and just sit and do nothing and watch the Wheel of Fortune and Price is Right and eat bonbons for the rest of my life. It's going to be a great life. Not realizing that God says, he will say to all of us at one point, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. So is your soul right with God? That's really the most important thing. Not how much you have. Are you right with God? Are you ready to meet your maker? Beware of covetousness. A.W. Tozer once rightly said this, and it's, it's a little lengthy, but uh, bear with me. He said, sin has introduced complications and has made those very gifts of God a potential source of ruin to the soul. Our woes began when God was forced out of his central shine and things were allowed to enter in. Within the human heart, things have taken over. Men have now by nature no peace within their hearts. Why? Because God is crowned there no longer. As I mentioned at the beginning, God's okay if we have possessions, but what he's not okay with is if possessions possess us. And that has happened for so many people is God is no longer on the throne of their heart. Things are on the throne of their heart and, and wanting more things. 
Ecclesiastes 5 and verse number 10 says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. Nor he that loveth abundance with increase, this is also vanity. It gets to the point where it's like, hey, I have some, but I'm still not satisfied. I just have to have more. You know, when are you going to be happy? Well, when I have more. When I have more. One of the things that leads to covetousness in our life is comparison. When we compare ourselves with one another, when we kind of try to keep up with the Joneses or the Johnsons, because that's my name, um, but we try to keep up with one another and we try to look at what other people have and want what they have when it's without our ability to do that. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commit themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, they're not, they're, they're, they're not wise, Paul says. And, and I realize that there's a lot of different applications in that, but financially it applies as well. When you start comparing yourself with what you have compared to somebody else, this happens a lot with younger married couples, and they kind of start looking at other couples who are a little beyond them in years, and they see their home, they see their vehicles, they see what they have in their home, and they kind of go, man, I, we just have a hand-me-down couch. That's all we had when we first started, uh, this kind of ugly blue hand-me-down love seat. It actually was pretty comfortable, to be honest, uh, but it didn't look the best. Um, but we kind of start thinking, well, now I need a new, whole new dining room set. I need a whole new bedroom set. I need a whole new, you know, all these things because I see someone else have it all. It, it's dangerous to start comparing our situation with somebody else's situation. And that can absolutely lead to, compare, uh, to covetousness. In a uh, newspaper column, Ask Marilyn, uh, Marilyn gave an interesting perspective on contentment. One reader wrote in, a, uh, in, a, uh, in about a unique experiment she had conducted after being dissatisfied that her neighbor's yard looked better than her own. And you all know the old adage about the grass is always greener on the other side. Of the, you, you know that. Okay. Well, here's what happened. She did what few have done and actually walks, walked next door to look back at her own grass. When she stood in her neighbor's yard, the grass in her own yard now looked greener than theirs did. So she asked, why does this even occur? Marion replied, well, the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence because you're not close enough to see the dirt. And that's so true. Because when you're looking down at your own grass, you kind of see some of the, the bald patches and you kind of see some of the weeds a little bit more, but when you're looking from a distance and you can, you just, all you see is green. When you get over there, then guess what? They have bald patches and they have weeds too. And when we, when we just continue to look at others and say, boy, look how wonderful their life is. Look how much they have. Well, if you were in their situation, you would know that it's not 100% just perfect all the time. There's challenges, there's trials, there's tribulations. Maybe there's a bunch of credit card debt that you don't really want to have. 
maybe there's a whole bunch of mortgage and, 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 and all kinds of loans that they have to be paying off in order to have all of those things. But, but when you're at a distance, all you see is the good. There, there, there's some challenges on their side as well. And they may be looking at you going, man, they, they may not have some of the nicest things, but look, everything kind of looks like they're getting along well over there in that family. And that's something that we don't have. So be careful about comparison, and that absolutely leads to covetousness. If we're going to glorify God in our finances, we have to acknowledge the ultimate owner. We have to appreciate what we have. We have to um, avoid covetousness. And last one, number four, we need to apply biblical instruction regarding finances. Know what the Bible says about how to handle finances and then implement and obey that instruction. Now, there are several things that I have under this, but we're going to go ahead and save that for next Sunday. And we're going to be looking at some practical things that we can apply that the Bible gives us clear direction and clear instruction about. And so I hope that you'll come next Sunday with open hearts in these matters and with a deep desire to glorify God in your finances. But we need to remember that it starts with acknowledging who the ultimate owner really is. And of course, that is the Lord. And it, it, it then we need to appreciate what God has graciously given to us. We didn't deserve anything. So anything that he's given to us is bonus and we need to be truly thankful. And then we need to avoid the sin of covetousness. Now, as we wrap this up this morning, why are finances so important? Because as Jesus said in our text, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our hearts are connected with our wallets. We can't separate that. Say, well, that's not true for me. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And so, therefore, if we want to glorify God with our hearts, which I think all of us would agree that that would be an appropriate sermon under this series, in, under this theme of glorifying God, well, if we're to glorify God with our hearts, we need to first glorify God with our finances. And I hope that that's your desire. Um, I hope that as you... Um, pay bills and, and do all the different financial decisions that you do on the regular, that you understand that God is the owner of it all and that he's entrusted you to be a faithful steward over those finances and that you have an appreciation for all the things that come in, the paycheck that comes, and that you take time even as you go to work tomorrow. Number one, pray for safety because the roads may be a little slick tomorrow. But then thank God that you have a job and that you have the health to go to work. I mean, that is a privilege that a lot of people do not have. Be thankful for that. And then let's avoid covetousness. It creeps up everywhere. You watch television at all. You see those commercials. What that is doing is trying to instill covetousness into your life. You need this soda in your life. You need this Doritos chip in your life. You need this new truck. You need this type of clothing. You need this in your life to try to get that covetousness brewing so that you'll go out and buy it. And uh, you don't have to buy everything. We need to be careful about the uh, um, falling into the shiny, the new shiny object syndrome, don't we? Apple is coming out with this new Vision Pro 
um, goggles, space goggles. Um, $3,500 for this. Crazy. So that you can do this. That's really what it's for. So you can do this. Uh, be careful about saying, ooh, I need, the, I need the new latest and greatest. If you do happen to get one of those, invite me over. I want to try it out. <laughs> <laughs> but don't buy one of those. Those things aren't necessary. Use that money instead to invest in the work of God that will matter for all of eternity. Um, going back to Matthew, we'll end with this. Matthew 6, our text. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt. For thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Let, let's invest in eternal things um, where, you know, you buy that, you buy a new truck today. Uh, the moment you drive it off the lot, it depreciates by a bunch in value. But when you invest in the work of God, it never depreciates. So let's invest and use our money for the Lord. We'll talk more about that next week. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but um, let's glorify God in our finances. Let's all have a heart to do that. Let's pray together.